Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and in this episode, we're going to be talking with Robert Giles, CEO of SPC, about his experiences during his first year in the role. I'm joined as ever by Kim Berry, and she's the editor of Food and Drink Business. Kim, how are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well indeed. And Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, hi, Robert. How are things? You're, you're hunkered down in, um, in Victoria, aren't you? Uh, how's, how are things down there? Yeah, no, things, we're looking forward to getting out of lockdown, but um, yeah, everything's still going well. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I think we should, uh, as with all of these things, and as I say almost every episode, let's start at the very beginning. Do you want to give us a little overview or elevator pitch, of, if you will, of SPC? I know it's one of Australia's uh, iconic sort of heritage brands, but why don't you sort of fill in the gaps around that? Yeah, sure, Kim. Um, SPC is Australia's largest uh, fruit processor with a 102-year history out of uh, Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley in Victoria, um, making a lot of retail products that a lot of people know and love, like uh, Goulburn Valley um, SPC fruits, Ardbona, tomatoes, and, of course, the iconic SPC baked beans and spaghetti. Um, We also supply a lot into the out-of-home market as well, though. Our fruit cups go into the hospital and aged care section sector, as well as uh, some export into the USA as well. And you came on board late last year? Yeah, September last year, um, I joined as the, I I took the position as CEO. I'd been with the business for about 18 months before that as well and helped manage the sale process out of Coca-Cola. We were sold June 30 last year and I was heading up sales and marketing um, during that period as well as uh, assisting with the sale process. And I think that that's um, there's quite a line in the sand, wasn't it? When when CC Amatul um, sold the company to the uh, perpetuity in investors, I think. Yeah, yeah, per- perpetuity in the eights. Yeah, that's right. And so, can you just um, talk to us a bit about what what does that process? look like? Uh, I think for an outsider, the notion of, a, of an acquisition sometimes can sound quite combative and quite, you know, they come to the front door and they're like, you know, we want we want to buy you. But you were saying that process was sort of over about 18 months. Is that sort of a regular thing? Yeah, I think, um, well, that's when I was with the company. I think it's um, the sale process probably took nine months. So still, it's a long process. Um, and there's two parts to it. I think there's a the piece where Coca-Cola and their advisors work on the actual negotiation. Um, and then the management team um, work on the communication and the explanation to the prospective buyers of what they're looking at. And how, I mean, how many people, what are the resources like within a company when this process is happening? I mean, is it a sort of an all hands on deck, all consuming role or does it come and go with part of your day? Yeah, no, it gets consuming at different points in the time. So I think there's a lot of setting up the business in terms of filling out the decks. Um, we had EY come in and do the vendor due diligence. So it's filling out all the financials um, so that prospective owners can see all the background of the business. So that really took finance uh, probably a lot of time at that stage. The actual presentations, I think, took about two months, um, and that is all hands on deck for the executive team. So each presentation would take about a day. Um, We showed 18 companies through 
our business. So there was a lot of interest in the SBC business. And it was right in January, where I'm not sure I remember, in uh, 2019 January, but it was 44 to 46 degrees every day in Shepparton. So the fact the factory would have been plus 55 um, and we were showing people around the facility. So they got to see it at, at its hottest, um, but that's when the fruit comes through. Yes, yeah. Heat is against my religion, so anyone talking <laughs> about those sorts of temperatures and actually having to function in them just makes my brain stop. Uh, so, I mean, so obviously at an executive level, this is all ticking along and you've got all of these companies coming through and this these this process is unfolding. What about then managing that within the business and your and your staff? Like, is this all happening in a really, I mean, I know a really highly confidential bubble or, you know, these are the sorts of things that I think rumours start abounding and it, they can really, it can really run away and, and become, uh, there can be a lot of catastrophizing by staff and, and anyone within an organisation when there's this sort of talk of a takeover or a sale. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true. I think there's one thing for the executive team who have a little bit of an insight into what's going on but not a deep understanding because that's, again, between the owners of the business, Coca-Cola, Amatol, and the advisors. Um, so we knew who was interested, which we obviously had to keep super confidential. Um, but you also had... The media running um, in terms of speculation of what was happening. Um, it was amazing to read that sometimes because it had absolutely no bearing on what was happening internally. <laughs> um, they were they were mentioning names of companies we hadn't heard of before, um, and and then there's the staff, and I think that's probably the most crucial part is how do you keep the staff, you know, engaged and motivated. Um, to keep doing the job and keep the business running while this distraction is happening off to the side. Um, so that's probably what we spent a bit of time. So we, were, we tried to keep lines of communication as open and as frank and as honest as we could in the circumstances. Um, I think a lot of people were enthused because, you know, I think Coke had owned us for a long time, but the synergies had never been realised. So I think by this time people had realised it wasn't a good fit for a company. We are a food company inside a... Um, a massive beverage company. Um, so I think people were excited with the prospect, but obviously an, a, a, some nervousness as well in terms of what does the future look like. Yeah. How many employees does the company have? Um, it's around sort of 300 sort of normally, but it goes up to close to 1,000 in season. Okay. Um, when you're having all those companies come through and look at it, so let's say when you're looking at when Perpetuity and the Apes came through, is there sort of almost a, a pitch? Like are you getting an idea of what they want for the company's future or is it really at that point, is it really just quite transactional until it all happens and then, you know, then things sort of start to unfold? Yeah, I think it was different from different companies and what their intent was. So, there would be some some of the prospective buyers that were would just keep everything close to their chest um, and want to look and see. I think there were some trying to work out if there was an opportunity or a bit. So you know, you take that first look inside the door, and then there was others that were a little bit more engaging that you could see were more serious and trying to take a view of what the the staff and the management were like what the health of the business was and ask some really good questions to that to that length. That was very much a mixed bag. And do you think um I mean now that you've been through it, because you were part of 
you were actually part of that process and it was part of the company, so you sort of saw it. And now that you're sitting in the CEO chair, what would be your advice to others in terms of how you manage your approach towards this sort of situation unfolding or what are your tips into the best way to manage the process when a company's sort of facing something like this? For me, it's a really change process and some pe- different people react to change in different ways. You know, I'd advise people to you know, look to the, the change for opportunity. Um, I absolutely thought there was a business um, that was really valuable and really important to keep moving and, and I was really enthused and engaged in the process. Some other people will handle change in different ways. So, in terms of a tip, I'd be looking for you know, people to be a bit more glass half full, if you like, in terms of where can this lead for me and and not so much um, ponder what might be the downside. Yeah. Okay, so the deal goes through and the partnership take ownership of SPC and in comes a very dynamic chair, Hussein Rafai, who is very, very passionate about SPC's future and looking at it as, looking at it as a global food company. Um, I want us to sort of talk to that concept, but probably take one step back first. If we look at the year that you've been in the CEO chair, which has been a tumultuous one with COVID-19, but also in terms of it fitting into when the company was sold, what's been some of the highlights for you and also the challenges? Yeah, so the highlights for me um, would just be the the speed of change that we had to go through, and and you know me working with companies in the past like you know, Nestle, Simplot, and Coca um, Coca Cola to go into a private equity um, environment was just a massive increase in the speed of things to needed to be done, especially with somebody who's so passionate like Hussein is and he's absolutely the driving force behind his business. Um, so I think that, but for me, I, I think that was a real highlight for me in terms of being able to change gear and um, work in a new way that, that met those needs. We then went about setting, um, you know, we had the, the really large job of separating from Coca-Cola and, and that did take some time and probably more painful than we thought it would be because systems and um, ways of doing and contracts had to be sorted out. Um, but we get that ticked off and um, we go about setting our new strategy. Landing that strategy, I think, has to be a, a real highlight for us. So we, we set out this really big um, audacious goal of $1.5 billion um, in three years and um, and we, we start looking, so what does that mean? What do we need to do? Um, where are we going to participate? How do we become more profitable? Um, how do we make it sustainable? And, and so we, we pick up, you know, an endless stream of things to do and we start getting in some really good people um, into the business to be able to do that. And what I've enjoyed in that process is the SBC story is something that people just warm to um, and therefore so getting good talent has been easier on this side of the sale than it was prior to a selling because people didn't know what the future was. But people really want to be part of the success of SBC. They want to be part of the team that got this business that's perennially on the news for being a struggling agribusiness um, that's you know, facing down closure to support that 100 years of history and say, I was part of turning this business around. Um, it's now bigger, safer, more successful. 
and we're getting some really good people um, joining the business with that type of um, forward view of what can be. So absolutely real highlight in there. Yeah. I think um, there, there's often, when it is a private equity company that does the buyout, there can often be a lot of nervousness in terms of what's going to follow. And so it's interesting when you hear a story like this where it's almost been like some bellows have been put onto the fire and sort of re-sparked that enthusiasm. Would that be a fair call? Yeah, I think it's a good description. It's, um, you know, I think there's, there's one bit about the the energy and the those new sparks, but there's also the license to do more um, in terms of the acquisitions. We're, we've acquired two new businesses. Um, we actually settle on the cuisine business today. Um, so oh. as of Monday, <laughs> it's ours. Um, so that process has happened. Yeah, so talk a bit about that cuisine business because it's a really, for um, people that, are not aware, Cuisine Co, you were probably better to explain it than I am, Robert. So who are they and what was the thinking behind buying that company? Yeah, so a couple of uh, reasons um, that helps our growth in, and why it fits nicely within our business. It's a frozen meals business based out of Emu Plains um, in out of Sydney, uh, west of Sydney. Um, and it's a frozen meals business that, that produces meals mainly into the aged and healthcare sector and with a real emphasis on New South Wales health. So it supplies, uh, it's one of the major supplies to supplies hot, uh, frozen meals into hospitals right across New South Wales as they go through the process of um, taking their kitchens out and having things pre-prepared. They're the, a key supplier in there. It also supplies meals. It's got the Good Meal Company that sits alongside it and that supplies meals into NDIS, so direct to home as that platform continues to go. So there's an e-commerce business, which is really attractive to us as well, that sits with the business. And then there's all the other aged and healthcare providers that we think we can access. The nice synergy for SBC and the first sort of major synergy is that we're already big in the aged and healthcare sector. Fruit products are a really important part of the aged sector diet. And so we already have our fruit there. Um, Either in a hospital, you see our fruit cups, or in the aged healthcare sector, you'll have our bigger cans of products um, that get decanted and served. And and in areas like dysphagia, where you'd have to have pureed products, we supply products there. And so we've got a really big team right around the country that have got good relationships with all the different aged care providers, with all the different hospitals. And what we can now do, uh, which is something that the cuisine company did, didn't have, it had a small team in Sydney. It's about a $30 million turnover company growing really quickly. And we can now um, use our scale around the country to help bring those frozen meal products into that sector. And then um, we'll be a supplier to it as well, of course, because frozen meals take a lot of tomatoes. Um, <laughs> and we already process tomatoes for different providers of frozen meals. Um, and um, we didn't have that contract, so we've now got that contract. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and I mean, just, you know, the uh, more broadly, the frozen meal market is just growing exponentially. So yeah, that's, that's right. A, it's a, such an interesting space and also interesting, particularly in that healthcare aspect as to, well, New South Wales is the first in, in terms of, you know, public hospital systems to be outsourcing its meal provision. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that happens, you know, elsewhere around the country as well, which I'm yeah. presuming would be another huge opportunity once SBC has been running 
you know, the New South Wales one or providing for the New South Wales one. There's also the joint venture this year as well, which is another interesting area of the food and beverage industry that you're sort of moving into. Yeah, so we've, we've signed up a joint venture with Dola, um, who are a global uh, ingredients uh, specialist. Um, and we... Uh, and we're working on different projects with them at the moment, so uh, trying to bring them to life. So Dollar, a really important partner. We supply fruit preps to um, yogurt manufacturers. And in terms of flavour houses and getting flavours right, we think there's a lot of opportunity for them to help us. Um, and if we get the right um, production in place, we think that we could take our products out into their network as well, um, globally as well. So. So there's the opportunity to work directly on products. They've also got an amazing R&D um, and flavour house with them as well, and we want to be able to work with that to help us to innovate on what we do currently. Yeah. You mentioned that there were two companies that you'd purchased. Yeah, so in a yeah, small purchase we did back in March um, of this year, which was the POM Life, the pomegranate company. Oh, yes, of course. And, you know, again, for the, the passion behind Hussein, um, you know, originally coming from Jordan, he was very aware of the, you know, as a kid of eating pomegranates. And little did we know there were 70,000 trees growing just outside of Shepparton. Wow. <laughs> right in your backyard. <laughs> right in our backyard. So um, for lots of reasons, it made a lot of sense. But pomegranates is one of those new superfoods. It's on trend at the moment. Now we try and liken it to the avocado and we want it to be the avocado of the future. But everybody's got pomegranates in their salads um, as oh, an yes, ingredient in pretty much everything. Yeah, it is. But nobody likes pulling apart the fruit and taking out, they're called earls, the seeds inside because they're messy and so we do that process. So we take the off the fresh market, we take um, the ones that the skins are a little bit imperfect but the inside is still perfect and we we take the L's out of the middle of it and we sell it into the fresh market. So it gave us a whole new – so now, you know, SBC 12 months ago was just an ambient business. Now it's a fresh business and now with Cuisine it's a frozen business. So we've gone into all the temperature types and we think there's a lot more to do with, um, you know, with the juice of um, in the ingredient space and our industrial sector with pomegranates as well. So it was about a $3 million turnover company. It's growing fast. It's in fruits. It's in Shepparton. You know, it just ticks so many boxes for us that we should be there. <laughs> I always I always think that pomegranates are like pine nuts and that like if you're at a restaurant or a cafe that they just basically the minute they sprinkle over like pomegranates or pine nuts then they just add like five bucks onto the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I my, think that's my wife, <laughs> my, my wife's a big fan of the pomegranate uh, and we will actually buy them and she will get the earls out of them for use and all sorts of stuff that we work with and and um, yeah I have made the comment it does look a bit like a Dexter scene by the time she's finished <laughs> Well, Nigella has this apparently, you know, like absolutely foolproof way to easily get them out. And when I've done that, that I've been cleaning pomegranate juice off the ceiling. So I'm, (laughs) I'm very, I'm very embracing of SBC's advancement into this into this sector. There is actually a machine that um, removes the L's, so it does get placed in a machine and split open, and so it's a little bit labour intensive. But there is an actual production process to to make it happen. 
I think one of the things that I find really interesting in, say, a company like SPC or other sort of agribusiness companies that are based in regional areas is that there is the need to be dynamic and to grow. And there is also a level of, um, there's another sort of pressure in terms of that you provide so many jobs or opportunity within a community that would otherwise not be there. I heard the company was doing something for the SHEP community. Was it apprenticeships or something in that vein? What we did was we did a sponsorship with GoTafe um, the local pro- uh, TAFE provider in Shepparton to provide three scholarships for um, disadvantaged uh, students that might not have otherwise been able to, to participate. That may lead to a job with SPC, I and mean, actually a lot of part of it includes on-site work at SPC. Um, but we, it was part of it was in absolute recognition that we need to help lift the skill set in the region as we continue to grow. Um, we need to have skills available in Shepparton. So um, uh, I was at a meeting yesterday with um, the CEO of TAFE and we only want to do more with them um, as we continue to build our requirements for skilled um, operators, whether it's in, and it's not just in engineering, it could be in food science and different areas as well. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Often when there's growth, people are just thinking in terms of numbers, but you need the people to actually do the producing to make that happen. So I think there's a lot of um, regional communities that are really reliant on that. And it's, it's exciting to see a company that's really pushing itself forward like that. So obviously, it's going to be very... <laughs> We, we, we can't not talk about it. Um, COVID-19 arrived with quite a flourish. Uh, let's have a chat around that and how SPC managed its impacts. I'm kind of guessing that there are a lot of people that were stocking up on their baked beans and their tin tomatoes. Yeah, there was. And it happened for us. Our peak of our season is is March. Um, so not a, we, were, we were running the plant hard. Um, we couldn't order any more fruit because what's on the trees is what's on the trees. Um, so we just had to make the best of, you know, tomatoes were about to come out of the ground. Peaches were already coming through um, and pears weren't far away. So, and then we had this massive spike in demand. So in March and April, our sales in retail we're probably close to 100% up on previous year, um, and and we had to we had to react really quickly in terms of keeping the retailers in supply. Um, so we we on our tomato business we went down to one skew. Um, we went everything down to the 410 gram um, Armona diced tomato. Um, we got rid of our rich and thick and our whole peeled and our crushed. Um, because it was really about running the factory as long and making it as, as efficient as possible on using those tomato products to get out there. So, and the retailers worked fantastically well with us. You know, we got great support from all of them. And we managed for a period of about two or three months just to pump out as much 410 tomato as, as we could. Um, and as we got on top of it and demand came off a little bit, we went back to our full range and, and got back on shelf. But unfortunately, in the fruit area, um, we only have what we have. So we're selling ahead of our scheduled weekend. We try to get the best yield out of everything that we could. But, you know, come the end of the season, there will be some small out-of-stocks on different SKUs in different categories. And where apricot season starts, 
mid-December, late December. So we're um, we're really looking for a good season. The good news is there's you know the the uh, water restrictions were in place the prior year and no longer there, which also means that the the farmers aren't forced to water as much. And we got really small fruit last year, um, so we're looking like getting good sized fruit at a time we really need volume. So um, looking forward to that. So a question on that: uh, you've got we've got a lot a lot wetter season, so the water situation's good. It sounds like we're going to have a bumper harvest. Have you had any indications of what it's going to be to get that harvest off the trees and to you, given some of the COVID travel restrictions and lack of backpackers and so on? Do you see that as a problem? Uh, that's absolutely an, an, an issue that we've been talking uh, a lot um, with different stakeholders and especially our farmers. Um, our understanding at the moment from our particular farmers that you know, grow a lot directly for SBC, that they're they're largely covered for their, for their picking. Um, and that would probably affect apricot and peaches more so, but apples and pears uh, growers, which obviously also pick very much for the fresh market, there is still issues that they're working through. There's different schemes that have been brought in by government. Um, you know, the, the pickers in Queensland from mangoes, at the end of that, they'll be coming into um, Victoria. So there's, there's lots of different moving parts and, yeah, it's still something that we've got our eyes well and truly open for. It's a really contentious area, isn't it? You know, the, the concept of, of produce rotting on the tree is, I think, just horrifying to everyone. There are a lot of factors there that you actually can't control from the weather through to pandemics, through to, you know, a government policy or edict surrounding labour. How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, it's one of those, I think you get used to um, uh, working in agriculture. I over 20 years with Simplot, so I'm very much used to an agricultural basis of working through droughts, floods, wind. Um, last Sunday, I, I get, open up the Bureau of Meteorology app and it says brown rot warning for stone fruit. Um, and I think, yes, what next? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because of the humidity now, luckily, you know, as we understand, um, the farmers have either had either sprayed for it already or it was sort of further west and the um, the change in winds blew out most of the humidity. But in agriculture, these things get thrown at you all the time. You think the crop can be perfect and then a, a weather event happens and it's hail, flood, um, like I said, wind, and, and you just have to react to it and make the best out of what's available. And the people, the farmers, the support staff that we put around it are really experienced in this space to make the best of what mother nature throws at us and and we just have to be agile and work with them to when the fruit comes off to what condition it's in and then what can we do with it so okay we've had a we've had a pretty uh, interesting year but spc seems to have been coming through it pretty solidly what does 2021 look like for you yeah i think 2021 um we've got a lot of activity around the Shepparton plant itself. We've just finished, um, we sold off our Kyabrim site and moved our fruit preparation line out of that site into Shepparton. That's just gone live. We've got a lot of cost-saving initiatives that we're running through season that we're working really hard on. And then there's probably another real big factory redesign that we can do a little bit later, which will, will help again take costs out and make us more sustainable. 
Um, we also got that great news that the government are going to start investing more into the man- food and manufacturing sector. Um, so we've got good engagement and um, really you know, a friendly government at the moment that wants to work with us and also believes in the future of our site. So we'll we'll be working with them closely because we need to set up our future. There's while well, baked beans and fruit and tomatoes is a good part of our history it's not what's going to make us a one and a half billion dollar company and we need to start focusing on that Um, we do want to take this business global as to hussein's passion and uh, while we're still having some conversations in the sort of europe middle east area um, obviously COVID has has kept us off planes and made that process a little bit harder which just means that we focus at home a bit a bit more right now um and these other acquisitions um we're we're looking at a small beverage acquisition as well because we think we can we can play a, a really key role in the beverage sector as well um for something that's a bit more special and unique yeah it is so we continue to roll out these new initiatives that can work out of shepparton um and then we'll look to the to the global expansion and the growth phase probably more at the back end of 2022 uh, 2021, if obviously as long as we get a vaccine and we know what that looks like. Yes, everyone just says stop breathing. That'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> Breathe and sneeze or cough. No shaking hands, no hugging, no more nothing. Just, just yeah, in your in your compartment. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, yeah, well, very, very exciting uh, road ahead. And I suppose you're one year into the, you know, the goal of the $1.5 billion company in three years. So tick, tick, tick. <laughs> we'll be watching with great interest. Um, but finally, what what you know what gets you out of bed? What what puts fire in your belly every day? Oh, I think it's just like I spoke about before, and the types of people we're attracting. Um, the the turnaround of this business is something that people are just really passionate about, and and yeah, you know, that starts obviously from our from our chairman, uh, but myself. Um, you know, I love the agricultural sector. I've spent all my life uh, working in the consumer space in in agriculture, and I think SBC is something that's worth preserving. And you know, I would love to be part of that journey. That be you know, um, one of the the leaders that across a really big team that have helped get us to that sustainable point. Um, so that yeah, there's no troubles of getting up in the morning. There is so much to do as you you've already heard. Um, but it, yeah, it's really exciting. I do want to be able to get up and go to work though, rather than staying in this um, home office. <laughs> <laughs> I know talking to other people. <laughs> Such a lovely idea, isn't it? Face to face. Wow, how yeah. odd. Well, it's just been fantastic to talk to you, Robert. Thanks so much for your time today. Uh, it, we are uh, always watch what's happening with SPC with great excitement and interest because something is always happening. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe we should revisit. Maybe we'll come back, like we'll revisit in a year and just, well, it might not even be that. Maybe it'll be in three months or something when you, you guys have purchased somewhere else. Yeah, a year is far too long. Yeah, well, world domination is imminent. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Kim and Grant. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Kim. This has been an enjoyable conversation, very informative, and lots to learn about SPC's transition forwards. And uh, we'll be back with another episode in the not-too-distant future. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. 
If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.